Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 21. In a Bible study that I've entitled, Choose God's Perfect Will for Your Life. You know, over the last few chapters, we've been studying the life of Hezekiah and how he was one of the best kings of Judah. He's the type of king that you would want. You would want Judah to lead. And it is a glorious thing to have godly leaders in our lives. And yet today we come to the leadership of his son, Manasseh, who happens to be just about the most wicked king to ever rule. And how an ungodly king can come from such a godly heritage is really a mystery. It's a mystery to see parents raise children that choose in their older age, to no longer walk with the Lord. You know, our kids make their choices, and then those choices make our kids. And it doesn't really matter what age. I have to say now, as parenting, as I've raised my kids into adulthood, the younger years are easier. The younger years with our children are easier, and yet they can also be the most neglected years, where in their fashioning, in the forming, in the molding of our kids in those younger years, They need more of our attention, not less, to prep them and prepare them for the challenging years that are up ahead. And it's always a painful thing. And I know even speaking tonight in our Bible study that some of you are praying for kids that aren't walking with the Lord, and it's just not the way they were raised. And yet, because of their choices, their choices have taken them away from the things of God. We just pray that Manasseh never becomes our kid, because Manasseh was wicked, And I found that parenting, you know, can be a source of such great joy and happiness and can also be a source of such great pain and sorrow. And it's spread among the reality of humanity. Now, Manasseh, as we notice in verse 1 of chapter 21, he was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And verse 2 says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. You see, we live in a world that's always pressing on, upon us to do things the way the world thinks. We might refer to that as our worldview. And the Bible says that anyone that loves the world doesn't have the love of the Father in them. And the reality of that statement is simply this. There is a system in which we live that is contrary to the things of God. And in one paraphrase, it speaks of not allowing the world to press you into its mold. There is an end goal of this world system that we're in. And it's very simple. It's to create those that don't love God. So much so to the point of denying God and the reality of any accountability to our Creator. You see, the devil uses this world system to separate people from the love of God and from salvation. But, you know, we live in the world so much that it's hard to recognize sometimes. 
Uh, we watch the television shows of the world. We read the magazine articles, the blogs. We're on the internet. Uh, you know, the, the amount of some people spend so much time on their phone, especially on the new iPhones, that they turned off the screen thing that, that counts how much time that they spend on their phone because they don't want to see it. You know, there's a new thing on the iPhones that shows you how much time you literally have with your screen on. And I personally know folks that turn that off so they don't know how long and how much they really spend on their phone. Now, I think it could be said that the phone sometimes is used as a great tool, maybe reading your Bible on the phone, but for the most part, the way the world is pressing in, some of you don't even realize just how much you think like the world, perhaps even act like the world, maybe even make your decisions toward the world. See, Manasseh, although he was raised in a godly home by a godly dad, was affected by the world around him. That's what it says in verse 2. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations. The world in which he lived infected him and he began to do things like the world was doing it, like the nations, the world system. You see, Manasseh would have seen firsthand, remember, we've been studying the life of Hezekiah and Manasseh, his son, being 12 years old, would have seen firsthand, experienced, firsthand would have been the testimony of his dad, would have experienced within his family the miraculous healing of his dad. He would have heard of the glorious defeat of Assyria by the angel. And yet these dramatic events, the testimony of his own home, were not enough to capture his heart of faith and loyalty and dedication. And actually, it was much worse than we can imagine as we learn later that according to the Bible, let me just show you, turn over to chapter 24. We'll get there eventually, but notice in chapter 24, his life was so bad. Look how the Bible describes it. Second Kings chapter 24, verse one. It says, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years and he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He, he sent against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Verse 3, surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight. Notice, because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. Manasseh t carries the weight of the fall of Judah, according to the scriptures. And so notice in verse 3, it says that Manasseh rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Not only was Manasseh the worst king, but he also had the longest reign. And you could say in Manasseh's life, or at least in the life of Judah, that the reign of Manasseh was one long trial for the nation. One long season of difficulty. He reigned 55 years, and it was 55 difficult years, although I believe the people adapted 
to the sinfulness that Manasseh introduced and became sinful themselves. You know, trials have a sense of feeling like they're never going to leave. Wondering when will, when will they end. Today you may be facing the most difficult thing in your life and part of your response might be, when will it end? There is this sense of conditioning in our lives when we are used to trials that have a specific beginning, a specific middle, and a specific end. But over time, as you experience life as a believer, and the longer you walk with the Lord, and the longer you live with the Lord, the longer you interact with other people, you learn that trials aren't so predictable. That yeah, they have a beginning, but sometimes you don't even know when they began. <laughs> and then they have an unpredictable middle. They could be short, they could be long. It could be like Manasseh, 55 years. So many more years of trial, where it's year after year, month after month, week after week. Joni Erickson Tata, a phenomenal woman of God who became a quadriplegic in her teen years because of a diving accident, she wrote this, and I quote, Life can shrivel up when suffering becomes your dark and constant companion. You're able to keep your stride for a while, but in time you find yourself spiraling into a whimpering slump. Is this me, you ask yourself in the mirror? Does God know what he's doing? Will I ever experience release? Suffering can so sear the soul that you dread facing the day and then when night finally closes in, you pine for the morning. For those of you that follow such things, you know Joni Erickson Tata just had surgery for her second bout with cancer. So not only living all of these years as a quadriplegic, but also now having been diagnosed and going through the treatments of cancer twice. And yet God continues to use the woman. <laughs> She's a testimony to the faithfulness of God. There isn't anyone that's ever read a book by her that hasn't been encouraged. A whole life ministry was birthed out of tragedy so that her heart so enlarged toward those with disabilities and those with great difficulties physically and mentally that the Lord is using her in great ways to minister the gospel through her pain. So she understands of which she writes. Sometimes you might look at someone that's going through a trial and the times that you see them, they have smiles, they're serving, they look faithful. Understand this, it's the strength of God in their lives that enables them to do that. It's not, a, it's not just putting on a good face and it's not just putting on a smile, but it's a demonstration, especially for, for believers that are persevering in trial, it's a demonstration of the very manifest presence and power of God in their lives. There's no other way to get through it. Because so many go to bed at night grateful for the evening and wondering what they'll wake up to. Because life can be hard and it can be difficult and sometimes it feels like the reign of Manasseh. 55 years and yet God is faithful through it all. You know what King Ahab, those of you that were studying with us, is to Israel, Manasseh is to Judah. Just wicked and evil. He went right to work rebuilding the evil worship systems that his dad spent so much time to take down. That his dad restored worship in its pure form to the children of Israel. Now Manasseh is quickly taking it down. 
Now let's consider something for a moment because it's important to grasp. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. 15 years earlier, King Hezekiah received the word of the Lord that he was going to die. So he cries out, Hezekiah does, and what does he ask for? More time. (laughs) I want more time. I don't want to die, which I think is a natural response. And he cries out for more time. Well, God heals him, gives him 15 more years. And it was in these 15 years, Manasseh was born. During those 15 years of life, a horribly wicked son was born, which leads us to a discussion that many theologians have had for years, and that's the difference between God's perfect will and something known as God's permissive will. Now, is it possible, for those listening in right now to me, is it possible to be living in a way that God allows but isn't best for your life? The permissive will of God. Where given the chance, you could choose God's best for your life or you can choose God's second or third best for your life and he allows it and doesn't overrule you. The answer is yes. It's very possible. To be living today in God's permissive will because you have chosen not to choose God's best. Now I know there are some people listening right now that are living in the permissive will of God. Where, as we have spoken about it before, you know how much of the Bible is black and white, but a lot of people love to live in the gray areas. They, they love to live in things where perhaps it's not sin, but it's not the best thing for you. Or perhaps it is sin, and it's certainly not God's best for you. But there are always consequences for these choices in our lives. There are always consequences when we choose when we choose clearly not God's best for our lives. When you choose to go that way, just as a pastor, I'm obligated. And even if I wasn't obligated as a fellow believer, I feel compelled to remind you that when you choose the flesh and the flesh life, and you choose in the gray areas, not things toward God, but things away from God, you will pay the price for it. I don't know what the price is. That's not from my realm. I just know this. For he who sows to the flesh of the flesh will reap corruption. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8. You see, God wants to bless you, but he will not bless your flesh. God blesses the spirit in you. He blesses you as you're walking in the spirit, but God will not bless the flesh. He will not bless the compromises in our lives. He will not bless when we choose to take things into our own hands. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Do not let sin, this is a New Living Translation, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer subject to the law, which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. And I believe that we simply can insist on going our own way. And we can enter into that realm of God's permissive will, 
rather than the direct will of God, and we always suffer as a result. God is never the author of sin. Neither is he the author of the pathway to sin. The Bible says that God does not tempt us to sin. He never authors the path to sin. And as is the case with Hezekiah, the nation suffers as a result because Manasseh was born during this time period. And so I'm reminded, as I was putting this together, I'm reminded of my own life, don't insist on your own way, Ed. Don't come to the place in your walk with Jesus now where in the beginning it was all God's way. You were learning and growing, and any time the Bible corrected you, you were corrected. But over time, you start to dismiss the corrections of God. You start to explain away the corrections of God, where the Bible describes itself as a mirror in your life. So you open it up, you look in the mirror, you don't like what you see, and so you close the mirror. Well, that doesn't change what it revealed in your life. Closing up the very thing that was revealing to you what God is wanting to draw out from you. You see, God won't bless the flesh. And looking at God's life, I just want his perfect will in my life. I want what he has for me, not what I think he has for me. Be careful what you insist upon, because it could bring disastrous results. Unless you're right in the place where God wants you, you may find that what you want is going to hurt you, not help you. This worship of other gods by Manasseh, persistently, continually by choosing to worship idols they chose not to worship the true and living God I mean in the very beginning in Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 it says you shall have no gods before me little g no other gods you won't turn to anyone or anything for that satisfaction and sufficiency that's only in me that your worship will reserve for me God says no one and nothing should receive that part of you that is full of worship that it belongs I made you to worship me and yet over and over and over again God tells his children what to avoid he tells us how to worship him over and over again his children refuse and rebel. And so what comes? Judgment. The judgment of God. What comes for the believer in the new covenant? Consequences. The Bible says that don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For what a man soweth, that he will also reap. And it works both ways. We, we look at it in the negative, of course. We sow to the flesh, we reap. But it works both ways when we sow to the Spirit. We reap everlasting life. God always repays the Spirit with more life. The consequence of sin is always death. And God is very clear in that in the Scriptures. You know, the Bible speaks of God giving us over, giving people over to lustful desires. See, it's almost like God says, if that's what you want, then go for it. And a person can get so far and so deep that their conscience actually becomes scarred. And you begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. And you quench the Spirit's work in your life. And then you keep Christian activity. You still have this activity that's done in, God, in the name of God, but it's not from God. And people become very miserable. And we have to ask ourselves if that is where you are. Has God given you over? Has he given you your desire? Check this out. Turn over. I want you to mark this in your Bible. Would you turn over to Psalm 106? 
I quote it all the time, but I want to give you the address. I want you to circle it. You might even want to memorize it so that the Holy Spirit can use it in your life, especially in these down times. Manasseh was born in those extra 15 years that God gave to Hezekiah. And notice in Psalm 106, verse 14. Psalm 106, verse 14. Well, let's, let's go to verse 11. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words and they sang his praise. Speaking of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, being delivered by God. They, they believed him. They sang his praise. And verse 13, they soon, what does your Bible say? Forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, tested God in the desert, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. It's a sobering passage. Don't let yourself go that far, church. It's far greater than the people spoken of in Psalms. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you as a believer. Don't quench the work of the Spirit in your life. I mean, it gets worse. Come back to 2 Kings. It gets worse. Not only did he undo all the righteous things that his dad did and went even farther to create all of these idols, how, how the nations did things, or what we would refer to today as this world system that is anti-God in all of its ways, not some of its ways, but all of its ways, a system that is, does not begin with God will not end with God. And neither will it cross the path of God along the way. You might want to jot that down just so you know. A system that does not begin with God will not end with God. And neither will it hit the mark of God along the way. Notice it gets worse, verse 6. And he also made his son pass through the fire. Practice soothsaying used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of the Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, verse 8, and I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they're careful to do according to all that I've commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Let me just speak for a moment here. How is it that you avoid, and how is it that I avoid being seduced by someone like Manasseh? Because there are Manassehs all around us that are seeking to undo the work of God in your life. That, that in this system, we also have people which are the primary tool that undermine the work of God, the primary tool of temptation or other people. You know, sometimes we, we kind of get mad at people for that, but they're just tools. We need to be mad at the real enemy, the devil. And that we have that battle, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So how is it that we avoid being seduced 
by a compromising leader in our lives, and I'll make it very simple for you. Don't give them your ear. Don't give them your ear. As you have at times, and perhaps we all do at times, have these itching ears where we want someone to say to us or to do for us what we want, they would have never been seduced by Manasseh if they wouldn't have given him their ear. And I'm certain that it's possible in your life that you have given the wrong people your ear and you've allowed them to influence you and to convince you of something that's simply not true or not good for you. And we have to learn to have our ears only for the things of the Lord. Do you know, at the end of the time of a bondservant, when, he, when his time of service was over in ancient Israel, he could make the choice to stay with his master. It's a little contrary to what we would think, because we'd think, you know, if we were in a place of servitude to a master, which most, most of those relationships were paying off a debt, and so they were paying off a debt through their service. And when they'd come to the end of their service, they were given the choice, freedom or to stay and continue to serve their master. Do you know, many of them so, were so connected to their master and were treated well in the sense of like what we would consider today modern day employment, that the end of their commitment, the end of their seven years, they would literally choose to stay with their master. And one of the ceremonies that would be done there is that they would take the ear of the servant and put it up against the doorpost of their house and take an awl and put it like an earring and they would stick it up against their ear against the wood and they would pound a hole through it and put a ring in it and it would signify that they are a willing servant. But what's interesting is, is that if you follow the logic upon that ear, that meant a piece of the ear stayed in the wood. It became a part of and a memory that you could say in a very real way, in order to stay with my kind master, I'm giving him my ear. He has been so good to me, so kind to me, so faithful. It started out in a difficult scenario, but now at the end, we have such a relationship that I'm committed to him. This is what God wants me to do in life. And so they would have the ear, and you could say in a very real way, I give you my ear. And I want to signify that by this ring the rest of my life, that I'm no longer here because I have to be here. I'm here because I want to be here. Listen, church, that's the beauty of the grace of God. Nobody has made you follow God. There is no compelling power or force that's causing you to live for God. You can say that you also offered up your ear and you're giving your ear to the one who loves you, to the kind, faithful master who will take care of you, who's committed for all of your needs to take care of everything. And what is your response? I'm going to serve you my life. I'm, I have dedicated my life to serving you. But along the way, there are those that want to take your ear they want to influence you. Or like Manasseh, they want to seduce you. Because we're all, there isn't one among us that, that is, doesn't have a propensity to be tempted, to be carried away with lust, not just sexually, but for lust for things. You know, lust just, the generic word just simply means strong emotions, strong drawing. We usually, we usually refer to lust in the sexual realm, and that's true, but you know, you can lust about a lot of things. 
You can lust after power. You can lust after money. You can lust in your covetousness and your jealousy. It's a strong, fleshly, overwhelming emotion. And so the way not to be seduced by Manasseh, by false teachings, by compromises, is to take a stand in the truth and don't give your ear to them. The Bible says, don't you know that evil company will corrupt good habits? It's not going to be the other way around. And who you spend, choose to spend your time with and who you choose to give your ear to will influence you. And if you're not hanging out with other believers, enjoying them, I don't believe exclusively, obviously. The Bible calls us very clearly to influence this world for the things of God. But listen, true fellowship is among believers. And there's always a Manasseh out there to seduce us. And man, you think, that would never happen to me. I mean... Look what he seduced them into. Witchcraft? Soothsaying? Spiritists? Mediums? But the worst of all is the very beginning of verse 6. He caused the children to pass through the fire. That's a foreign concept to us today. Many of you have never heard that phrase before, pass through the fire. Let me describe it to you in the least graphic way that I can. And then bring it into an example and an illustration in our own country, in our own world today. The god Molech was the god of prosperity and power and money. It had many different um, manifestations, but it basically was an idol with its arms outstretched like this. It was, an, it was an idol of stone that was hollow that they would fill with wood and things to cause a fire, and they would heat up Molech until it was red hot. And with Molech's arms outstretched, the God of prosperity and power, they would take their children and lay their children on the outstretched arms of this red hot idol as a sacrifice to the God of prosperity. Which basically meant that they believed if they would sacrifice their child, their own flesh and blood, in a horrific, horrendous way that would have to go against their base, creative, nurturing nature. Even, a, you know, these are people that were supposedly following God, but under the leadership of Manasseh, no longer, they would offer their children to Molech. And it is a sickening thing to think. And according to Ezekiel, in the Valley of Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, the southeastern portion of the city of Jerusalem, the fires were continually burning, never going out. In other words, they were constantly burning their children in that valley, one after another, among the burning trash heaps. And the parents stood by worshiping Molech and Baal and Asherah, which was the goddess of sex. These things are the things that the pagans did. And the children of Israel now are following along the leadership of Manasseh. And this seals the fate of a society. You know, there's a progression among people. There's a, a steady progression. It, it, just like with any sin, it's a steady progression. And once the cycle is started, you know, I, I know that a lot of people listening right now, they, you make up your decisions based on the laws of the land. And for somehow that's conditioned us to, well, you know, if it's legal, then it must be okay. 
because we voted in these people to make decisions for us and to set up the legal system for us so that if it's legal, it must be okay. But of course, for those of you that have been alive long enough, you have known and seen that the laws change. Depending on who has been voted in to make those decisions for us on behalf of our democratic society, laws change. And if you're alone long enough and you just pay some close attention, many of the laws are tied directly to revenue streams for those that are in power. That's the way it's going to be until the end of the age. You'll find in the book of Revelation, you have of all the destruction, all the crazy, everything that's happening, people losing their lives, hailstones coming down. Uh, the judgment of God is happening on the world in the book of Revelation. There are still kings with oil and wine. You go, well, what's the big deal about oil and wine? Those are luxuries in the Bible. In the midst of the worst condition of the world ever, there are still some leaders that have oil and wine. And as you follow along, you know, men have never been really good rulers of men. You know that. We see it here even before the United States was ever born. You see that men lead at the best imperfectly, at the best. And at the worst, they seduce the very people of God to sin against a holy and a righteous God in the name of prosperity, Molech. You see, when you take a step in one direction, that's the direction you will go. If you take a step toward righteousness, you're going to head toward righteousness because the next step, we very rarely walk like this. You guys watching in are listening on the radio. I'm doing something really weird that I'm not making any progress. Nobody walks like this. You take one step in front of the other. And the direction that you walk is in the step that you took. Now, that's why God gives provision, as we've learned recently in our weekend studies. He's given provision for what? Repentance. And repentance looks like this. You take your steps in the wrong direction, and repentance means you go back the right way. Here, Manasseh has seduced a nation to sacrifice their children on the altar of prosperity. And it was the popular thing to do. What everyone was doing, including the nations around them. But just because you can, doesn't mean you should. How does, how does children passing through the fire equate to us today in the 21st century. There have been many, many children sacrificed on the altar of prosperity just this year alone. There's a website if you want to see it for yourself. It's numbersofabortions.com and it's a running, if you watch it, if you have it up on your computer, it clicks, clicks, clicks. And when I accessed it just a week ago, we learned an abortion is a popular form of birth control. It's not preventative, though. It kills a baby. And 811,215 abortions have taken place in 2018 alone. 
Since 1973, which is the famous Roe v. Wade case, 60,881,189 abortions took place. Now, understand something as we talk about the realities of the Bible and the realities of life. I know that there's a possibility that some of you listening to me, like whether it was you or your boyfriend or you were the boyfriend experienced an abortion or were in a place in your life where you made a bad decision and the Lord doesn't condemn you for that. It is a bad decision. That's what is stirring up the feelings in your life and you've repented of it and I know as well as you do that if you had a chance to go back, you wouldn't make that same decision. And so the Bible is in no way intending to bring back condemnation into your life. We're forgetting those things that are behind, pressing forward to that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, we can't ignore the reality. I remember what a vulnerable place Marie and I were in as teenage kids that were pregnant and how in the yellow pages back then, we didn't have Google or smartphones, we pulled out the yellow pages and looked up free pregnancy tests and it's not that we didn't have the money, it's that I spent the money on drugs and alcohol and I wasn't willing to pay for a, a real test. Uh, I was, if I could get it for free, so I can use that money another way and we drove down in a borrowed car with borrowed gas to this little clinic that we later found out was an abortion clinic. And there was enough Roman Catholicism in Marie at the time and enough Christian church in me that like of all of our options, that wasn't going to be it. And then I think back and I roll back the clock a little bit and I'm grateful that in the year that I was born, which was prior to 1973, that abortion was illegal because the conditions of my parents, my birth parents, you should say, of the very little information that was given to us in my adoption, uh, it would have been an option for them, no doubt, at the condition of their life as well. You see, prosperity and seduction will cause even the greatest of people to do the worst of things. And this isn't God's will. When I think of witchcraft and I think of soothsaying and I think of seeking mediums and spiritists and all the weirdness of the dark side of the world that I think of the sexual sin of the carved image of Asherah that was put into the church or you know in the common day into the temple but into the church can you imagine a church that celebrates the freedom of sexual sin the permissive will of God and yet it's sinful and encourages prosperity at the sake of holiness I can just say, I'm not interested in the permissive will of God for my life. I've seen enough of it. I don't want to see it in your life or your marriages, among your children. We want the direct will of God for our lives. God knows better than we do. He knows what's best for us. I want to be walking in the spirit, not fulfilling the lusts of my flesh. I'm not interested in the permissive will. And by the way, a little bit of study on this, and we'll get to it more when we, when we get to Second Chronicles later, but commentators and biblical historians think it was Manasseh that had Isaiah sawn in two. The great prophet of God 
What did Manasseh do with those that carried the word of God? He killed them. And you know sometimes how you're not received and not well respected because of your views? <laughs> you know how sometimes you get intimidated when something's happening in your family or at work and you know you should insert the word of God. You know that you know what to say, but man, you don't want to be sought in two. It happens to the men and women that carry God's word into a conversation. They carry God's word into a situation. And even the fear of man can cause our mouths to be silenced. Prophets were not popular in those days. Even as those today with a prophetic gifting or the gift of exhortation or even just simply inserting the word of God will bring great heaviness to your life. And this is all from Manasseh. Notice back in verse 10 now. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him. He's also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria with the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become victims to plunder to all their enemies. And because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Now, with, in this time period, God sent Isaiah. He sent Hosea. He sent Joel, Nahum, and Habakkuk. These are all books of the Bible, prophets of God. These were all sent to the king to warn him to repentance, and he didn't listen. So God speaks plainly his final words of judgment, and they still chose not to listen. However, in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, after Babylon came and took Judah captive, 2 Chronicles 33 tells us that Manasseh, as wicked and evil as he was, did repent. <laughs> Isn't that great news? It's, it's horrific of the things that he did. And yet, as horrific as the things, God still saves the most horrific situations. No one is outside the grace of God. As a matter of fact, Manasseh was even restored to his kingdom where finally he destroyed idolatry and restored true worship. But the pain in so many lives and throughout the country continued to last. Verse 17 or 16 Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Amnon, Ammon reigned in his place. Ammon was 22 years old, verse 19, when he became king. He reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth and the daughter of Haraz of Jotbah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. And he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, 
which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. So Ammon reigns in a place, chooses not to learn from his dad's mistakes, chooses not to, to walk in the repented ways of his dad. He does evil in the sight of the Lord, only does, reigns two years, but does great damage even in just two years, dying at the hand of the conspiracy as we've seen in previous, with previous kings, which will lead us to yet another good king by the name of Josiah. So much to learn, isn't there? So much to grow in our walk with Jesus. It's just better to abide in Christ, drawing all of our wisdom and our resources from Jesus himself, celebrating that God dwells in us. You know, it's one of the things we do when we worship and sing songs to God. We celebrate the indwelling of God in our lives, the very presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you may not have Jesus Christ in, as a part of your lives. Some of you may not have repented of your sins. Well, today is the day. Now is the time. God is inviting you to himself by the very precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, that's been provided to you for the forgiveness of your sins, that the banner over your life does not have to be he or she did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not choose to follow the Lord, but rather... By your own volition, your own choice, you can choose to follow God and submit your life to him. It's never too late, no matter what age you might be or what the condition, you might be as bad as Manasseh, and yet you still can repent and come to know the Lord in a very special, wonderful way. It's never, ever too late to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. So Father, as we turn our hearts and attention toward the rest of our week, should you give it to us? And we're warned by, by this king, Manasseh, how often we settle for the permissive will and not press into the perfect will of God. What's best for us? Walking not just by the letter of the law, but by the wisdom of God. I pray right now for those that are leaning on the letter of the law. Well, the Bible doesn't say it's sin. That you might add to them, but is it good for you, daughter? Is it good for you, son? That you would make us sensitive to what you want to accomplish in our lives. As we learned last time, all things are lawful, but not all things edify or build up or grow us in deeper relationships of grace. And as we're praying, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you right here in this place. You on the radio or watching online, God sees you there as well. As he invites you through the, through the systematic teaching of the word, reminding you and revealing to you his love for you, that even a guy like Manasseh can turn away from his sin and turn toward God and you don't have to be as bad as Manasseh. You could be on the very end of the spectrum where you're good. But you know, good people need God too. Bad people, we kind of knew we needed God. It's a little harder for a good person to come to that realization, but it's true. You'll never be good enough on the standard of God to answer to your creator for your life because the Bible is clear. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is always death. 
And it's God that defines sin, not a pastor, not a preacher, not you, not me, not the law, not government. God defines what sin is. And we just yield to him and trust him that he knows what's best for our lives. Even if we disagree with him, we trust him. Submit our lives to him. So if you're here today, you'd say, Ed, I really do, I need to turn away from my sins and receive the gift of God is eternal life. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. If that's you, would you just stand to your feet today? I want to pray for you that today would be the day that God is calling you to himself. That here in this place, you might be on the overflow or down in the cafe, but I want to give you a chance to publicly, you know, there's that time in the life of Jesus where he's always calling people to follow him. He says, you get up and follow me. God bless you. Just get up and follow me. And that's his call to you today. Standing doesn't save you. Raising a hand doesn't save you. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. God saves you. And there's this mystery of how he connects with us. He does the calling and the conviction. We do the responding and don't know how exactly it works. It's a mystery, but it's awesome. Just come to him today and surrender your will and your life to him. just like when you put your hands up you're just like I surrender just done and so those of you that responded you could pray with me okay but really you're talking to God and you could say God I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me by the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross I believe he died for me and rose again to forgive me, to change my life. And I, did, I want to follow you, God, from this day forward. Help me to turn away from my sinful past and to turn my life toward you. And Father, I know anyone anywhere that would pray to you, you hear them. It's, you have a promise in the Bible that says, anyone that comes to you, you will no way cast out. So I just pray for those that would turn to you today. And I especially pray, God, for those that might be under some heavy condemnation, just under oppression tonight, just weighted down by the cares and concerns of this life, that you might relieve the burden as they choose to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily traps them so they can begin running their race with joy again, that there might be a a a resurgence and a revival among us, God, that we would rise up to the high calling you have for our lives, that we would press in, not in retreat, but moving forward, even as the, the, the word is out that the church is dying and churches are closing. Well, I beg to differ. The word is out that God is still saving souls today, that you're still moving on the earth today. And I pray you would raise up a fresh new army And I pray for those churches that are closing their doors and becoming bars and they're becoming dance halls and even becoming uh, Islamic mosques. That the church of Jesus Christ, believers, men and women would rise up and rise to the occasion. And we would not be so shy and so timid, but rather we would walk with boldness. Not fake, not, not a fake boldness, Lord 
but a real true work of your spirit that we would choose to live in love and grace and mercy. That we're not the judge. We're not the judge. We're just the messenger. And may we be messengers of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. There's enough weight on this, the people of this world, enough cares, enough concerns. And I just pray maybe there's some pastors that are thinking about quitting today. That you would encourage them. Then they're calling God. That you would strengthen them with the strength that's already in them. Maybe there's some pastor's wives that are just tired of serving you or tired of their husband's calling or just want to throw in the towel, that you would give them a fresh, a refreshing of your spirit to be encouraged in the high calling, as hard as it might be. Maybe the kids are starting to wonder, why is my dad, I wasn't called to this, why is my dad doing this? And why is my mom serving here? And that you would just instill in those kids a love for you. That it's more than what mom and dad do. It's what you have done for their lives. That if it wasn't for you, like in my own family, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a family. I wouldn't be married. I wouldn't get to see my kids full time. They wouldn't live in my house. Maybe I wouldn't even be in their lives. So may we lean upon your grace and not looking at the weights that are so heavy, but rather looking at the grace that's so light and free, receiving from you our full strength today. And so I know you know, if there's a hundred churches that are closing this year in the United States, or this week, I should say, that you would just encourage those men, those elders, those leaders, that you would encourage them, that they wouldn't feel like failures, but that, God, you would restore to them. Your word says that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. I think of some guys that have been through this church, once serving you in pastoral ministry and aren't anymore, that you would revive that gift in them because you did use them for many years that no matter where they're working or what they're doing, that that pastoral gifting, that desire to serve people would be raised up again in these last days, that we would lay aside those things that might be dividing us and just embrace the high calling that comes from you, God. It doesn't come from a church or from me. It's your calling on their lives. So may you restore and revive the high calling that you've put on men and women, boys and girls in these last days. Jesus name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.